Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. Another Friday is here, which is why we're doing another Friday wrap again, having the brilliant minds, uh, all three of us, the brilliant minds here to have a chat and have a, have a I guess, have a, have a chat about what's happening around the world and what's been happening around the finance space, whether that's Bitcoin, property, shares, assets, commodities, you name it, whatever you like us to talk about, let us know. But at the moment, you know, we're obviously focusing on what, uh, what, what, what our each of our expertises are, and we try to bring value to the table for everyone to uh, to try to interpret how these uh, how these news happening around us means and uh, the long term, uh, I guess the long term longer term implications to uh, everyone's finances. Um, as always, I got my two lovely co-hosts here with me today, Jazz and oh, what's gonna say? He's uh, he's got a different surname today. Uh, sorry, a different first name. But uh, John, <laughs> almost on that one. <laughs> How are we all doing? Really good, mate. I appreciate using the word brilliant. I wish my wife said that more often, but at least our co-host over here are saying that, which is good. <laughs> mate, when you're living with someone the whole time, you don't get that appreciation, unfortunately. <laughs> so it's just it's just difficult. But uh, now it's good, uh, Jazz and uh, John. Welcome. Yeah, good to be here. I was looking around the room when he said brilliant, but uh, he might have been talking to you, Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. Being, being too humble, Professor Professor Camino. That's uh, that's always how we say it. In my right, well, Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. It's good. Um, there's a few um, few interesting news. I think it's just, and also I think I've said I can I can probably call it breaking news to a degree because it's just uh, one of the main ones um, has just been announced about an hour ago. Uh, earlier today, which is um, our New South Wales Premier has announced that they are going to abolish the quarantine procedures for overseas arrivals for New South, uh, into New South Wales. So for people who are double vaxxed, um, there's no longer a need for a quarantine is the way I interpret it. And John, jump out if I state that incorrectly. Um, but if you're if you're only like single vax or on vax, then of course you still got to have to follow the 14 days hotel quarantine or home quarantine type of procedures. So I think that all ties back into try to bring people into New South Wales or uh, Australia in general, but New South Wales is a leading uh, uh, state in that sense. And also we want to attract immigrants and migrants uh, big time, which is, also, you know, this is these two kind of tie together the way I read it, um, because uh, this ties into the other news that we had earlier this week, which, you know, we announced that, uh, the, the, again, the New South Wales Premier has been given directive to say we will need explosive search of two mil, two million migrants in the next five years. That means 400,000 people on average every year for the next five years they are intending to bring into Australia. Okay, so it's all about getting people in, getting getting people into Australia. We need that extra population. And gents, I know we we are all we are all we're pretty much a property podcast most of the time. Um, and I thought you know that could be a good segue uh, in terms of you know what are these indicators and what are these people um, you know these these new policies that's been put in place. How is that going to impact the property prices of Australia moving forward? I'd like to go first. Go, go on, Jazz. You, you uh, set the scene <laughs> and say reasonable things. <laughs> so surprise, surprise. Uh, something we have been talking on this podcast for the last couple of months now, mm. that 
in the last year or two, the growth that we have seen in property was purely because of the easy money or low rates and easier assessment criteria relative to going back a few years. And the next part of the property growth, we always said was going to come from migration, which will start its intake maybe later this year or next year. And I think this article in AFR very clearly lays out the same stuff that we have been talking about over the last couple of months, that although we have seen good, reasonable growth in property prices, uh, more than reasonable, but that is not the end of the story, even with the uh, tightening of the lending or talk about tightening of the lending and the uh, possible rate rises. I think uh, with this migration will come as fresh set of money from international markets, which will obviously get parked in the safest asset class, so-called safest asset class. I don't know whether it's the safest or not. Uh, and uh, that happens to be the national sport of Australia, real estate. <laughs> <laughs> at the new crown now is it <laughs> no longer the 48 yeah it's so, the only sport you can do from your armchair which is why we i'm you know generally this shape it's, it's not a real sport but, but before letting john take over on this just one more thing i think uh property is set to grow because of this one reason itself over the next few years but i think within property some specific sectors will uh boom more than the others and two of them will be is the suburban real estate residential real estate and number two according to me according to me will be the farmland i think we'll see some explosive mm. growth in farmland john yeah no fa farmland's interesting farmland's a, a classic inflation hedge because it's um it's it's obviously a land heavy asset but it's also a productive asset so you know, people for people over the last decade who've been sort of waving the flag about irresponsible irresponsible monetary policy and where this could all lead lead to. They always say, buy gold, silver. The Americans say guns and bullets, uh, and they say buy farmland. So get out of the capital cities. Interesting that you say that because, uh, uh, yeah, that, that that's an interesting perspective. I don't know if it, yeah, um, necessarily works in Australia, but I think that that that's probably uh, good advice. So. A couple of things. I agree with you completely, Jazz. I think, you know, everyone's looking to the end of this property boom. Everyone's saying, oh, well, it can't go up any higher from here. It can't go up any higher from here. But don't forget, that's been the perspective for the last 50 years. Um, and, and, you know, if you were speaking to people in 2016, 2014, God, I remember 2014, everyone was saying the property market can't go up. Uh, Sydney is tapped out. The growth has to be elsewhere because we're we're cooked, right? And who would not have loved to have bought in two thousand and fourteen? And I think the mistake that people make is that um, they think that property prices can't go up. What they fail to see, what they're always assuming, is a stable currency. If the currency was stable, yes, property prices couldn't go up from here without an explosion in population growth. But because there's no there's no flaw to the value of currencies. Ask anyone from Zimbabwe, you can always inflate a currency. 
that means there's no ceiling to real estate prices. I repeat, there's no ceiling to real estate prices. So, um, so two phases to the property boom. How do we get to mid-decade with this property boom going to 2025, as we've said on this podcast or we've speculated on this podcast at least? The first couple of years will be, will be easy money and, and the genie's out of the bottle there. So the low interest rates, stuffing that back into, uh, into the bottle is going to be very difficult. So we're stuck with easy monetary policy of some sort, even if they raise interest rates a little bit. And the second phase which we've said on this podcast, but I think has broadly been overlooked, is, is going to be population growth. So what does it mean for, for real estate? I think it's going to be, I think the second phase of the property market upswing, I won't call it a boom because you, you never know, but it'll be, it'll be rising prices, will be apartments. Um, when when new, new people come to Australia, they go to apartments and, uh, and they, they initially rent. So we're going to see yields rise, even as property prices rise as well. And we're going to see uh, the, the next phase, or maybe after this year, but the next phase of uh, price rises will be apartments. The reason for that is you, you can't have 400,000 people a year. So that, that's like one, one and a quarter Canberra's every year flooding into, let's say, Sydney and Melbourne, but it'll, it'll be broader than that. Um, we also destroyed our capacity to build apartments after COVID. So we, we stopped construction workers going to work. Um, we, we, uh, we, so there's been a, a collapse in the approval of new apartments. So where are the people going to live? It, there's going to be a supply crunch in the next couple of years uh, if they do this, uh, because we don't have enough places for people to live if they do this. So, yeah. So, so I think that the next phase of the uh, upswing in property prices will be apartments. Interesting that you said apartments. Uh, I think I totally agree with that. That's that's a really good point that you made, actually, uh, with the first set of migration that will be coming in. Uh, a lot of them will be obviously international students and all that stuff, which will demand uh, the student-style accommodation, which is the apartments and all near the CBD areas. So I think there will be a decent growth, actually, in the apartment sector as well. But I think the farmland will probably outperform most of this in my opinion mm. and tastes are shifting so when we talk about apartments it doesn't necessarily mean cbd apartments um although it could it could i, I personally don't like that type of product but but perhaps that's where the next phase will be i, I don't know if our cities will be the same mm -hmm. for a little while mm. but um i think sort of middle ring apartments mm -hmm. are going to do okay i think because the prices have been hammered so hard in those uh cbd areas that yeah. will probably be the reason that we'll see some spike. I was chatting. I was chatting to a client the other day, and he was he was in a Sydney CBD apartment, and I and I actually and we were sort of chatting through his brief, but he was uh, he was renting there, and I said, "What's it like living there?" He said, "It's a ghost town." He said, "Literally, there's twelve people in the building, uh, and you can imagine it's a multi-story, multi-apartment building, and there's twelve people." He said, "It's sort of creepy, actually." I'll call that a penthouse style living. <laughs> but, but look, it, it's it's the ultimate it's the ultimate uh, contrarian investment, right? Yeah. Uh, for me, it's not it's not for me. But I, I could I could see someone saying, "What's the most underloved asset right now?" Well, it would be a, yeah. a CBD apartment. 
Yeah, you never probably know, right? CBD in in a West, I think in a in a West apartment, that kind of stuff. Because people all try to make a sea change and tree change at the moment, right? So yeah. nobody's seen the need to be able to be close to the office the whole time, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, <clears throat> I, I think in general, yeah, I, I tend to agree with um and, and also partly because of affordability as well. Yeah. Houses is just being house prices just being pushed up way too much, and it's way beyond what the immigrants can initially afford when they come into mm. initially come to the country so you know when they when they come in like you said jazz typically they look for a place to rent first you know to rent maybe for a year or two start saving yeah. up working very hard um and then you know once they have that deposit they then start working looking at how much can i borrow and you know they're not going to be looking at multi-million type of properties to start off with most of them will be looking at okay probably six hundred seven hundred thousand dollars type of that will suit the apartment range quite well so from the affordability perspective with these immigrants coming in over the next couple of years, that's why it's, the affordability is going to play a big part in terms of pushing up the apartment ranges uh, in that sense. So I think that all makes sense. It makes logic to me. So, yeah. No surprises overall over there. I think I, this, yeah. this we, we, we said this, I think, last year at some point that this is how it's going to play out. And it's playing. Yeah. You know, interestingly, the last, uh, let's say, 18 months has been an upgrade as a part, uh, an upgrader's market. So it's been people moving from apartments into houses, it's people moving from small houses into big houses. And we've seen that the, the upper quartile, the premium end, do the best. That that will reverse. So if, if we get an influx of, if we, if we go sort of I- immigration on steroids, you'll see the lower quartile outperform. Mm-hmm. Agree. Uh, and entry, entry level stuff. Yeah, entry, um, lower bracket, that type yeah. of, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, the, the, it reminds me as well of um, Be, uh, Benjamin Graham. That was the, uh, the mentor of uh, Buffett. Warren Buffett. And he described markets as he said, in, in the short term, markets are like a pinball machine, like a slot machine. And he said, over the long term, markets are a weighing machine. And that's why we talk about ratios on this um, podcast, because ultimately the, the ratios revert to their mean over time. Now, the reason ratios are important is because the ratio of a median house to a median apartment has never been uh, never been bigger. So I think that the average house, price of a house is three times the average price of an apartment, which is, you know, which is a lot, which is a lot. I think it's normally double. So if the median uh, ratio is two to one and we're currently at three to one house to, house to unit, that means that for that... Um, ratio to normalize if that weighing machine is to kick in as benjamin graham would say units have to outperform i think i think the great way to put it is what you said before it's a very contrarian investment and if you if you pick the right one at the right price you can see some explosive growth Uh, but those parameters have to add up (laughs) otherwise Mm -hmm. um, it could be a very dud investment as well yeah so yeah. yeah yeah Definitely don't just go out there and buy CBD apartments and that kind of stuff. As we all said, it's not for everyone. Um, you know, it might suit some people's profile, but it doesn't necessarily suit other people's profile. So always make sure you do your due diligence. Um, you know, I know John loves contrarian um, <laughs> in that sense. He's always a contrarian between three of us. So uh, it's good to have that view. Um, but Jess, have you bought some farmlands? You would have got in before you make that announcement now, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a good point. I should have actually waited. <laughs> that's good. Um, so moving on, uh, I think the other topics that uh, I'd like to briefly touch on uh, is in regards to the um, 
uh, a new interest rate announcement from CBA earlier today. They actually raised, they actually raised their own occupier fixed rates um, for their two, three, and four years by a point one. 0.1% or 10 basis point. Okay, so beforehand, I, I remember it's not that long ago, we used to be able to see, I think it was a four year fixed rate about 1.99 with CBA. Now, based on today's latest announcement, four year fixed rate is now at 2.39. So that's about, you know, 0.4% increase from probably about six months ago, I would say. So that kind of shows you, I guess, a, an early indication on how CBA in general, or the banks look at where the interest rate trends is gonna go in the next few years. And I wonder whether CBA made these changes as a, I don't know, as an anticipation, like what we discussed last week, where Reserve Bank of New Zealand actually raised their cash rate from 0.25 to 0.5, and whether they're anticipating that RBA is going to be doing the same, in the next two to four years, like in that, you know, in very conservatively in terms, um, in the next couple of years. Um, so they're anticipating that. I don't know. Um, I'm just throwing it out there. What do you guys think, Jess? So two things. Surprise, surprise. Said that last week. Uh, <laughs> RBZ raises the rates. All of a sudden, next week, we see a leading indicator become valid for Australia. And the fact that they have increase the rate on two to four year on rock loans, not on a one year fixed loan, tells you that they're expecting the rates to rise somewhere in that vicinity of three to four years. And again, surprise, surprise, something that was said on this podcast, when was that? Four or five months ago, then we'll probably see the rate rise uh, sometimes towards end of this cycle and that cycle is going to end when somewhere around that uh, where the property growth will be the last leg of the growth is always very explosive uh, just like a hockey stick so when we start to see that happen along with the housing market overall housing market uh, to be worth 12 trillion from six seven trillion back in 2016 so you add all those things up it's a very logical call that the, the, the bank has made. I mean, banks have obviously got very smart analysts uh, that are sitting over there. I'm, I'm going to shock you. I've got nothing to add. Like, that. that's exactly right. The market's anticipating that long, lo longer-term rates are going to go up. Mm. Interesting that the short-term rates came down, so that's interesting. Yep. But it's, it's you know, central bankers would... Uh, the banks would tell us what they think, but it's what they do that matters. And they think that rates are going up in the next four years. It's not in the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. I guess I can also, I guess that uh, I'll, I'll chip in another information, which John, you can probably elaborate on that. The investor fixed rate for two to four years have not changed. So what's changed was the owner occupier fixed rates. Okay. Oh. So this is just the owner occupier. The investor fixed rate for two years to four years have not changed. The one year has dropped by 0.2%. So in other words, it's even more attractive uh, for, for investors to fix for shorter mm. term. But yeah, what's the indication there then if, uh, if, if, we, if we give you that extra bit of information? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess my what I'd infer from that is that uh, investors aren't driving the market. Investors aren't back. They don't want to 
deter investors from returning to the market. In fact, they need to be incentivized. So this is this is an owner occupier led boom, mm. and this is what APRA wanted. This is what the RBA wanted. Remember back in 2015, 16, the problem was that there were too too many investors. They were about forty percent of the market, uh, and they wanted to. And we were you know, investors were crowding out owner occupiers. So, you know, this is the um, this was this boom was legislated, right? This this is the boom that they designed uh, and and legislated into law with interest rate cuts and uh, yep. changes to regulation. So uh, yeah. yeah, so they don't want to they don't want to uh, they don't want to kill off investor sentiment, which is re- very low at the moment. Anything to add there, Jazz? No, I think uh, John said it pretty well. Uh, it's just balancing the market more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anything. Uh, owner-occupier growth was slow and uh, was something that was required in the market. Too much investors can be too risky for the market. And uh, too many owner-occupiers uh, taking high leverages of 90, 95%, 85% can also be too risky as well. So now that over the last two years, we have seen most of the growth has come from the owner-occupiers, uh, shift the gears towards or the lever towards investors, balance the market, it, it is insane that investors pay more. Not, not that I want there to be more investors, but if, if interest rates are supposed to reflect the risk of the borrower, if, if you've got one category of borrower who's getting a rent, rental income and essentially doesn't have to put their hand in their pocket, or they do minimally, and the other, the other is an owner-occupier, owner it's all coming out of the bottom line. You know, the, 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 lowest, risk inve- the lowest risk borrower are investors they should they should have much lower rates so you know i never like it when apra decides on these things when the market could do it uh in a more efficient way but this is where we are mm-hmm. funny you say that john the gap between that fixed rate for i guess if i use three years as a most distinctive uh example here the owner occupier three-year fixed as according to what they have here is 2.29 whereas the investor fixed for three years is 2.39 the gap is uh, only 0.1% here right. we're talking about. Okay. Now this is now there could be further additional discretion to be to be negotiated here. So this is just what they publish. But yeah, this is this is interesting. You know, fascinating when you talk about beforehand. It's not that long ago where owner occupier fixed rate and investor fixed rate were still ranging between 0.5 to 1% um, to some to a certain extent. But yeah, it's 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 bridging the gap. Yeah. So mm. Funny enough. All right. Um, Jazz, you got anything else to add? No. Okay. All good. All right. So that's probably what we got for property this week. Um, anything we want to touch on commodities? Oil? I think oil that we touched on last week. Should we? Um... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look, we talked about the energy sector broadly speaking last week. And I think that um, the oil price was bumping up against 80 bucks. Well, it, and, and Jazz, I'm just reminding us last week. Jazz said it was about to explode. He said, "Look at the chart; it's going to get to eighty-three dollars." It did. It did in one week. Like we're up at about eighty-two dollars for oil. You got to watch the oil price, people. I know it's boring, and I know it's sort of just black gold, but the oil price is telling us everything we need to know about inflation. It's also telling us when the RBA and the Fed are going to intervene into the market to rein this thing in. So. Um, the oil price, and look, gold to a lesser extent, perhaps in decades past it was the case, but oil is the canary in the coal mine. It, it, it's, it's such an important thing. So 
uh, inflationary fears are starting to run. You know, it's not just oil, though. It's coal. It's uh, natural gas we talked about last week. Um, all the energy sources are, are running because we've hollowed out our ability to generate um, strong baseload energy on the basis of climate change, renewables and all these sorts of things. They can't do those things. You know, someone, um, I remember listening to a podcast once and it said, you know what the, what the um, best performing category of stock is over the last 60 years up until 2022? And someone said tech and Facebook and they go, no, no, tobacco, tobacco. Okay. And his point was just because coal is hated doesn't mean it can't be the best performing asset because uh, there really aren't alternatives to things like oil and coal, not yet anyway. And, um, and we can pretend that there, you know, we can do it with solar, but we can't. It, I don't personally own any sort of uh, coal generating assets or anything like that, but it's, there's no reason to think that they aren't going to be very, very good performing assets over the next uh, decade because we're under-investing in all that stuff. I'll just add one more thing to everything that John said. Uh, I'll go on the record and say this for the first time. Gold has hit its low, and I'll be surprised if gold goes any lower than where it is. It's tested the multi-year trend line successfully three times and bounce back strongly once again. Uh, yeah. I think if in from an investor's perspective, uh, I think it's, it's the bottom for the gold. I'll be surprised um, if in this rally, whenever it starts, whether it's already started or whether it starts next year, if we see gold any lower than the last lowest, which was at uh, sixteen seventy uh, US. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you. I'm I'm gonna just add that I think that the gold, silver, Bitcoin explosion begins next week. Just for the reminder of the listeners, none of this is financial advice. This is hardcore speculation based on uh, some of the work that we just <laughs> love to do in this space. So don't invest your money listening to us. Uh, we just think that it's bottom in our opinion. I'd add that I've been saying gold is about to explode for you know weekly for the last 10 years and I've been wrong. So I'm probably wrong, but what, what I reckon next week uh, we're going to see some stuff. I think we have bottom. This this was mm. the bottom. It has tested. It's successful. Uh, I don't know when the, when the rally is going to start, whether it's this week or whether it's next year, but we shouldn't see gold any lower than the lowest point, which was 1670. Well, the big, the big question that's buzzing around the, the sort of the metals market is why hasn't gold really responded to uh, debt ceiling talk, the, the explosion in the debt generally? We can come to that shortly, actually, but but gold hasn't responded when you'd expect it to have done that. So of course it has. Just the form of gold changed into Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. You in a different asset, basically, isn't it? Yep. So, yeah. 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 But I think that brings us to our next um, our next topic, perhaps. This is a good segue. I was going to say. So. <laughs> All right. Well, um, talking about extending debt ceiling. <laughs> um, there was uh, there, there was a Twitter video which uh, was published uh, by Michael Saylor 
uh, I think a few days ago. No, actually earlier today, um, earlier today. And that short cliff basically had a US senator, Senator Cynthia Loomis, if I, if I may put the full name. Um, and she's the Republican and the senator for Wyoming state has actually made an amazing announcement. Um, I think, Jazz, if I can get you to play that for us, for our audience. Have run up the debt irresponsibly with no plan to address it. So thank God for Bitcoin and other non-fiat currencies that transcends the irresponsibility of governments including our own. That is an indictment of our responsibility. Like a bombshell. Wow. Wow. I guess both of you already got things that you want to race off and say. <laughs> Who would like to go first? John, we'll get you to go first this time. All right. Yeah, look, this so I so when I zoom out, there are two big issues that that are going to we're going to need to contend with over the next decade big, 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 transformative, generational uh, issues. The first one is this decade there's going to be a debt bomb, a, 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 sorry, a population bomb. So we talk about population going up in Australia, but globally there's going to be a, a population cliff, mainly China, but also probably Europe. It's, it, so population bomb is going to be a big, big deal. It's when we start to lose the baby boomers. Um, now, Australia will have massive immigration. I suspect we won't have a demographic cliff. We might have a demographic transformation, but that's a different thing. The second thing is the debt bomb or a currency bomb. There's really no way of getting around this now. So uh, uh, the, the debt is absolutely out of control. But what, what happens is that it's essentially um, the governments and the central banks have shifted the risks shifted the risks out of financial markets into the currency markets. That's what um, growing the debt to, to fund the Dow Jones and the property market and all that sort of stuff is. You know, we will have rising property markets, but we're shifting the risk into the currency market. So you might have a rising property market and a falling Australian dollar. This lady is absolutely right. And what I like about what she said was that the irresponsible monetary and fiscal policy is totally foreseeable. This is so obvious. This is so obvious that this is now out of control. Now, the problem is that the analogy, and it's, I'm stealing it from Peter Schiff, is all this monetary um, money printing, it's like heroin. So we are, the economy is the patient, and the patient can't get off the heroin. And the problem with uh, ODing on heroin is to have the same sensation and I, I wouldn't—I don't know this personally—but um, to have the same sensation, you've got to keep upping the dose. Um, the, the 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 doses of the the QE and the money printing have to go up. And I, I just want to sort of wrap up with this, and it's because it's not on YouTube, and we can probably say it that I'm not convinced that the COVID thing was anything other than a than a, a big central bank bailout. That the the coordination of the bazookas around the world with all the stimulus, it feels more to me like a coordinated bailout of something. Um, but we are going to have to pay the piper this decade through the currency markets. I don't know what that looks like. COVID's real, by the way. I'm not saying it's a hoax. I'm just saying that it was a coordinated attempt to, to stimulate something or bail something out. 
Jazz, you can bring us back to reality, mate, after the uh, insane rantings of a lunatic. John always wrapping up with <laughs> a conspiracy theory. Let's just bring it back to reality. <laughs> exactly. Oh, <mate. laughs> well, I love the video. I honestly love that video. This is exactly the kind of politicians that we need who yeah. can talk openly. We've talked all this on our podcast. So hence likes of commodities, uh, the crazy run-ups that we see in the prices, likes of crypto, uh, where 1,000x gains, property market, same thing, highly leveraged. So I think good on her for saying all this, to be honest. I mean, this is where we're bringing it back to property. Uh, you know, um, for the people who keep saying, oh, the property market can't go up any higher again, like you'd have to assume that on the on the currency creation side, that has to stop as well. So I don't see there's any way that in the next couple of years, this uh, crazy currency creation slows down. So why would the property market stop going up? Mm-hmm. We're creating all this credit and the credit has to go somewhere. That means what are we going to be lending into to, to buy like uh, strawberry farms or something? Uh, maybe, but it's probably going to go into real estate. So um, yeah, so, so you, you got you to, if you're thinking property is going to go down, you got to ask why five times, like why would property go down? Because they, they'll stop money printing. Why would they stop money printing? Because they're, you know, they're going to be paying down the deficit. Why would they be paying down the deficit? Um, so you, you, yeah, just, just walk it back. And I, I can't, I just can't, I think there's going to be monetary disorder galore. Here's a question. She, she, in that clip, she was sort of saying, like it's she was essentially saying it's even happening to us as in we the americans it's even you know king dollar like of course people over over history have destroyed their currencies but we were the grown-ups in the room and we never did it you know ask the germans a couple of other you know uh good central banks but she's saying we've joined the pack in being completely irresponsible what what do you guys what 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 happens when the the u.s dollar goes bad reserve currency what what happened what does that look like so well the question is did it just went bad all of a sudden after Mm. the 2008 gfc or did it went bad when we uh removed the peg from gold yeah good point Uh, Mm. i I think what's the re i think one of the reason main reasons that the u.s currency is uh hasn't become a zimbabwe or argentinian currency so far is purely because it carries that status of the reserve currency. Uh, the big cartel behind it, which is the petrodollar, is there as well. So when you add those two or three things up, it makes perfect sense. But like always, um, every currency has what got 100 years of lifespan. This one is already, what, 90 years, give or take. Uh, maybe give another 10, 15 years, it's dying its natural death. What, what 100 bucks you used to buy 90 years ago, uh, can you buy the same amount of goods? What do you reckon, Dave? Yeah, pretty. Look, I, I think I think I pretty much agree with uh, what uh, Jazz is saying. Um, it is at some point in time, it's going to lose its reserve um, currency status. We don't know when. We don't know how. Perhaps when they have, when they are able to find a potential replacement like a cryptocurrency or a digital coin of some sort. You know, which I know China is trialing at the moment. Um, who knows? The US may be. Um, down the track may also be doing something along that line. But yeah, I think the bottom line is, you know, no one is calling out 
the feds or you know the the, the whole world's um reserve bank to say you guys cannot just keep on printing like this you know without any limit whatsoever it's a bit like someone just you know you're playing a game but you know you're making a foul but you're not being called out making a foul anyway so you keep on doing it exactly right so and eventually everyone's going to have to cop the outcome to a degree so it's kind of like you know someone's making you know, someone's someone's basically doing the wrong thing except everyone's kind of knowing it but they're not calling it out and they're not doing anything about it and we know the outcome is going to be quite bad but we don't know what it's going to be ultimately um so but like you said john it's not going to end well um, to a degree whether that's going to be a, some sort of financial reset or you know what we talked about what's the end game what's the what, what was it going to be looking like uh, a few episodes ago yeah um it could very very likely happen but um yeah bringing back to this video definitely you know you want to during this especially during this period you don't want to be keeping any cash because yeah they are devaluing fast faster than ever you could imagine during this period um so you know um that's why everyone's picking up assets whether that's whether that's bitcoin like uh cryptocurrencies whether that's properties whether that's shares whether that's gold silver you name it as long as it's something rigid and tangible um, and that can hedge against inflation get onto it that's probably yeah. what's uh what people need to take away from it with the, with the reserve currency uh, concept um we've always assumed that when the the american moment ends and the us dollar uh, ceases to be the reserve currency one of the reasons why that's seemed improbable is because who who's going to take over from the reserve currency china no russia no who wants you know the europe's a bit of a mess so it's not going to be the the euro um and so we always assumed that the reserve currency status would shift to another sovereign nation or another national currency bitcoin is interesting because you could move to a completely autonomous global currency without it being you know dependent on anyone's military might or anything like that so you could everyone's assumed that it would shift to china but it doesn't have to it could shift to to bitcoin and no one owns the reserve currency or no one issues the reserve currency it's, it's fascinating i don't know if that'll happen only because bitcoin isn't defended by a um an army and ultimately reserve currencies are about power not about economies but you know Stranger things. I think that's what that lady's saying as well. Bitcoin gives um, people a, another option. I, I just look at it as another asset class, basically. Um, mm. The beauty of this one, though, is that it reminds you. It reminds you of uh, Weimar hyperinflation. The charts are exactly the same, more or less, in terms of the way the growth is happening. So I think that's the only difference. But otherwise, it's just another asset class to me. Uh, but gotta keep watching to see what happens yeah pay attention there is there, when there's no upper limit to the fiat currency then there's no upper limit to the asset prices either yeah. you print 100 billion that's going to flow into assets you print print 100 trillion that's going to flow into flow into assets right so there is no upper upper limit to both of those things yeah. One defines the other. Yeah, you, you can always halve the value of your currency and it won't get to zero. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to the listeners, like always, none of this is financial advice. Uh, 
a lot of this is speculation a lot of this is educated guesses but they are guesses um and a lot of that is just reading of the financial markets and talking to the people in the financial world um and the geniuses uh likes of david and john um so um like always don't over leverage play safe stay safe and we will see you guys next friday with the hot topics john just name it <laughs>